Welcome to this edition of Rail Group on Air, the podcast series brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is William C. Vantuono, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age. This is part of our continuing series, sponsored by the Commuter Rail Coalition. Joining us are the executive director of the Commuter Rail Coalition, Kellyanne Gallagher. Kellyanne, welcome back. Uh, nice nice to, to have you with you. us. And we have from the North County Transit District in uh, San Diego, uh, way out on the West Coast, we have the executive director and CEO, Matt Tucker. And we have from BNSF Railway, the assistant vice president of passenger operations, a uh, gentleman who's well known to, to many of us, uh, not only in the freight rail industry, but uh, in the passenger rail industry, DJ Mitchell. Uh, Matt and DJ, uh, thanks for joining us. Welcome. We are Thank going you. to, you're very welcome. So we are, we are going to talk about the uh, San Diego Pathing Study. And this is a study that the uh, North County Transit District released in in uh, November, and it's quite comprehensive. So, so Matt, why don't you g give us uh, an overview of what, what the study entails? Okay, so first what I would say was a joint work uh, product between North County Transit District um, and BNSF Railway. Uh, the, this was um, a study that was really looking at how do we manage both freight and passenger needs under a single operating plan focused in on ensuring that we uh, identify the right capacity projects to read the, uh, the, the specified service needs. Um, it was intended to ensure collaboration with larger regional plans that had already taken place. It would help inform those plans with additional details, but also be uh, consistent with the California State Rail Plan. So it was really taking a holistic approach um, to identify exactly what are the priority projects that are needed to support specific and identifiable service outcomes for both passenger and freight rail trains. What is the outcome that you're uh, uh, that's that, that you're looking for? Well, I mean, I think it's fairly clear. We're 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 looking at so at NCTD as the um, owner and responsible um, entity of record for the railroad. Uh, we, we're supportive of both increased freight train operations, which divert trucks um, off of the road, um, support the operations of the Port San Diego, LA, um, helpful towards um, many of our state goals in terms of reducing GHG, and at the same time, increasing passenger rail operations, which obviously supports core goals of reducing vehicle miles traveled. So what comes out of this plan is specific capital improvements that will support increased uh, freight rail train operations as well as increased um, passenger rail operations. So it's specifically um, designed to identify a specific number of additional trains based upon specific milestones being achieved in terms of capacity improvement projects along the railroad. So again, it's really ensuring that investments are, uh, are timely um, that they are the most prudent use of taxpayer and private sector dollars um, and delivers the specific targeted goals that we were looking to to meet the freight and passenger rail market needs. So again, the deliverable was the specific service plans in terms of additional trains being operated. 
what sort of investment are, are we uh, are we looking at uh, long term? Well, uh, there are multitudes of phases uh, to this. Um, one of the key phases um, was about a two hundred million dollar, two hundred and two million dollar, two hundred six, pardon me, million dollar uh, program of projects for investment. We were extremely fortunate, based upon um, uh, the, the, the this report that we received significant support and a grant application was approved um, that will support um, funding that first tranche of projects at $206 million. Additional projects will uh, be in the range of about $750 million over time. Kellyanne, you, uh, you wanted to chime in here? Yeah, I wanted to just back up a second. Um, Matt and DJ, you know, the Losan corridor there is the second busiest corridor in the country. So what sort of expanded capacity are you looking at? Um, Pre-COVID, I understand that corridor moved about a billion dollars worth of freight a year and eight million passengers. So uh, end result, what, do you, what, do, what can people expect? Matt, why don't you go first on that and I'll go second. Yeah, um, so Kellyanne, so for us, it, and it's important to kind of put things in context because kind of the starting point of when NCTD purchased the railroad from uh, BNSF um, in the mid 90s, um, the, the railroad really lacked the, type, the kind of capacity to really meet um, passenger rail needs. Um, if you look at uh, our ability today, we have large gaps in service greater than two hours where there's no trains operating. Um, and so one of the things that we, we've been looking at with these capacity improvements is how do we create a more robust service that really meets the needs of commuters within Southern California? Um, and so based upon the, uh, some investments that should be coming online in the next three years, we're gonna be able to go from 22 trains, um, this is coaster commuter rail, mm -hmm. to a minimum of 42 trains per day. So in the short term over the next three years, based upon projects that are currently underway and being funded, we're gonna be able to go from 22 to 42 trains per day. Now, as we've looked at the specific ridership projections, I won't get into them as we sit today because I think we're gonna to have to rebaseline everything based upon COVID-19. Sure. Um, but really what we're trying to do is to establish a high performing service that is from a passenger point of view that is integrated within other passenger services, um, Amtrak intercity rail and Metrolink services to really provide people more of an integrated approach um, riding experience in terms of passenger rail. So I'll push it over to DJ. Okay, thanks Matt. And I wanna just continue the thought that, that Matt was expanding on there. There's an integrated view of, of the passenger service, the Amtrak service, the coaster service, the Metrolink service. I want to add to that the freight service. We recognize that the dominant operation in the corridor is passenger. But as, as we looked at our needs and, frankly, the needs of our customers, we realized that the operating plan that exists today, given the plant that exists today, probably is not sufficient. Right now, we can run a couple trains a day, mostly at night. We can sometimes squeeze a daylight train, ferry train down to San Diego or back. But principally, we're a nighttime operation. When the Department of Defense came to us 
and said, you know, we're looking at all the, the ports along the West Coast to see which ones of which one of them could meet our needs. They came down to San Diego, and obviously there's a huge military presence at San Diego. And they said, well, is this all we can run? And so I, I went to Matt and said, Matt, you know, we've got an opportunity to work on something that I think we can create a win-win situation for both of us. We need to really develop certainty in the operating plan. And that's really what this study was all about, developing certainty. So Matt just said he can basically double his passenger service. Uh, as a result of the study, we've been, uh, we've been uh, assigned, if I can use that term correctly, we've been assigned three round-trip freight train slots during the course of the day, not the night, the day, as a result of the completion of several projects that are funded under construction and should be in service the first quarter of this year. The study then took it further and said, if you add these and these and these improvements, whatever they are, you can go from three round trips to five round trips in terms of freight service. Now, those freight trains have a slot. They have a timetable, actually, if you look at the study in the back, mm -hmm. it says you have to show up at Atwood, California at this time, and you need to show up at this location, this location, and down to San Diego at these times, and you can run without interfering with the passenger service. And when, when Matt and I looked at it, we said, well, we can do this. I, I, it'll be a lot more disciplined operation because the entire corridor is a disciplined operation. So we're simply going to operate a very disciplined freight service from Atwood all the way down to San Diego in the port and then from the port back to Atwood and then on to Barstow. Well, DJ, what are some of the specific uh, improvements uh, that are that are underway that are, I, uh, as I understand, if I understand you correctly, uh, uh, the, these uh, they'll be in service uh, in, in the first quarter of the year. Well, what are we looking at in terms of trackage or uh, infrastructure improvements overall? They are interlocking improvements at two locations. That's it. To allow the trains to, to meet and pass in a more efficient way. The next, the next set of improvements include some track. But the first two were relatively straightforward. And we simply unlocked that capability by understanding how to run the freight trains in between the passenger trains. So uh, what we're looking at here is a, I guess, what uh, in old-fashioned parlance, you'd call it a timetable train operation. Is that, uh, am I correct? Uh, yes, sir. Anybody who yeah. has any background in the former Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy, uh -huh. that's exactly what they would have called it. <laughs> okay. That's, <laughs> that's where I started, okay? So yeah. we'll leave yeah. it at that. Okay, and we're not going to call it precision scheduled railroading. Uh, it's, it's, no, because it's, it is it's not been that. done before. It is, it is simply not that. <laughs> it's been it's been done before. Um, yep. By far the busiest uh, freight freight uh, operation on this entire corridor, as at least attached to it, is the Port of Los Angeles and Long Beach. But now it uh, uh, now it looks like the uh, like like San Diego, the Port of San Diego, is going to uh, is is going to pick up a considerable amount of, uh, of freight traffic, correct? They have the opportunity to do so. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, would you describe this uh, as a, I'll throw this out to anybody. Uh, would you describe this as a public private partnership in terms of the, not only the planning, but the um, investment? From my perspective, it's a straightforward partnership. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't care what one calls it. We have worked very closely with Matt and his team because we know we've got to live together. And it's worked out quite well. We've done this for, Matt, three, four years now in all the meetings we've had. And uh, uh, yeah. the product is what we've got. Yeah. And, and I think I, I, I would agree with DJ. Um, you know, BNSF has been a great partner with NCTD, even on things beyond just projects. 
um, when we are wanting to understand how they're doing, handling certain aspects of the business, um, whether it be through specific infrastructure type of improvements or operations of positive train control, we've always found uh, BNSF to be a reliable partner. But I, I do want to make a couple of points that I think will even kind of provide even a little bit more clarity. So the low sand quarter is actually 350 miles, 51, from San Diego all the way up to San Luis Obispo, um, California. Um, in terms of the, some of the specific project deliverables, and it, it supports actually NCTD establishing a convention center a station stop um, in San Diego, which has been one of the goals of the region forever. So as we sit today, people have to, have to get off of the train at Santa Fe Depot and take a trolley or walk eight tenths of a mile to get to the San Diego Convention Center, the Pet Cobol Park. But part of the improvements that were funded out of that $206 million program actually includes the construction of that convention center project. And you say, why is that convention center project part of this program? Because it creates capacity at the Santa Fe Depot so that we can have more throughput through that ch uh, choke point area for both passenger and fre uh, freight rail operations in the future. Uh, the project will support extension of positive train control um, and help improve uh, the signalization, um, which will so support the movement uh, more efficiently, hopefully, of cars on the street uh, in San Diego. So for, for the district, this is a win-win project. Um, it actually includes certain projects that help with, as DJ would use, hardening of the infrastructure on the railroad from signal modernization to stabilizing the bluffs in Del Mar. Um, the whole endeavor of the partnership between BNSF and NCTD um, provides benefits that I think support the full spectrum of, of what taxpayers and shareholders would like to see in terms of functional partnerships that create win-win scenarios for all. DJ, I wanted to um, ask you, uh, in, in your role, you, of course, are uh, involved in uh, passenger operations uh, where BNSF has evolved uh, all over the country, I think most notably in, um, in Chicago with the Metra system. The uh, Chicago CREATE project uh, is uh, ongoing. Can you draw some parallels between the Chicago CREATE project, which is probably on a larger scale with, um, with, with what's going on in the, in the San Diego area? Sure, I'd be glad to. Frankly, much of what I personally have learned and we collectively have learned from CREATE was applied to, to the San Diego opportunity. The, the thought that we've had all along in Chicago was to improve the throughput, the reliability, and the carrying capacity of the railroad, recognizing that it's very difficult to add track capacity. So our first charge by the AR board when this started back in 2000, 2003, was to identify changes in operating practices that would generate reliability, more train slots, and better service for our customers. Uh, and we've done that, frankly. Not only have we invested, or the collectively, the public and the private side have invested $1.2-ish billion in the improvements in, in Chicago, but we have a whole different operating discipline in Chicago than we had back in 2000 and 1999 and the 1990s. Um, much of what we learned from that and what I've learned from that in terms of defining an operating plan first 
and trying to understand how that works and then applying that to the physical plant limitations we have and then saying, okay, if we have a bottleneck, we have a, we have a, a place where it just doesn't work, let's focus our capital investments there, not just any place, but let's solve a problem. And that's what the pathing study really helped us do. It said, okay, here's the operating pattern. Here are the number of, of trains that can move per track per day based on the speed in the signal system. Uh, that, that, that is a number. And let's say it's just 50 trains a day. Right? But oh, by the way, up the track a bit, you can only get 25 through because of a constraint. Well, now we know exactly where to invest the dollars to unlock that, unlock that 50 uh, train capacity opportunity. We learned that in Chicago applied the same theory in San Diego. When uh, this is all built out, um, however long it, it may take, do you have a, a timeframe for this? Or, when, or in other words, when do you, let me restate this. When, when do you see this entire uh, vision or project being, being uh, totally built out? I, DJ, this is Matt. I, I believe, I believe the time frame that we have is 2030. I think that's right. It's you've got projects funded through 2026, and the last tranche of projects is yet to be funded. That's not that far away. It's it's already uh, 2021. Um, mm -hmm. I, uh, I I just wanted to just add here that uh, for for those of you. Um, uh, listeners who have accessed this through the Railway Age website, uh, we will have uh, the a copy of the plan uh, available for download. So, you, and it's quite detailed. Uh, so, you so feel, please uh, feel free to download it and uh, and look at it. It's quite uh, uh, it's quite intricate. I guess is the best way to uh, best way to put it. Would you agree? Oh yes, it is. Kellyanne. I was just going to ask um, about the plan. Uh, it looks like DB Engineering and Consulting worked with uh, both of you, both of your teams, to put this together. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how they engaged in this and what value add they brought to the, the vision? Do you want me to take that one first, Matt? Absolutely, sir. Okay. Um, we've been working with DB for probably 10 years. Uh, they, they came across the Atlantic and established a, a beachhead in the United States and said, especially in California, we have a way of thinking through the operation of railroads that might unlock capacity given the, the physical plant constraints that you are faced with. And the first place we worked with them is, or was in the uh, San Joaquin Valley. And it was a very interesting back and forth because at the time, their leadership did not fully understand freight operations. And I'll guarantee you, most of the freight leadership did not understand what they were talking about in terms of slotting trains and, and pathing and all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Because they're very much a, a European theory of how you run a railroad as opposed to the American theory of how you run a railroad. Uh, over time, however, it took three or four or five years, uh, their leadership began to understand how we run a railroad, how we run a freight railroad. They began to understand that, oh, by the way, you don't run freight trains on a schedule. You run them to maximize their utility to meet the customer's needs. And as they understood that, they, they changed their view on how you actually plan a joint freight passenger operation. Because clearly, a passenger service today and yesterday and tomorrow runs on a very tight timetable. Freight service does not necessarily do so. So as they learned that, we applied that first in the San Joaquin Valley 
the result is the current operating plan that we see in the valley now with, with a very integrated freight and passenger pattern with passenger trains running every, I believe, two hours. And that, that's the result of that work that lasted for a very long time. Uh, when we were confronted with an opportunity that, that was brought to us by the, the, the request for additional freight service in the corridor, Matt and I talked, I said, I think we've got a firm that is very well experienced in putting together an integrated freight passenger plan. Now, they're going to demand stuff of, of the freight railroad that we don't normally get demanded of because, frankly, this is a scheduled operation between uh, Los Angeles, or at least Fullerton, and, uh, and beautiful downtown San Diego. And so we're going to have to change the way we think about our operating plan. And Matt said, all right, let's, let's do this together. So we split the cost of the study 50-50 and went ahead, chose uh, DB to do the work. And uh, DB, uh, Kellyanne, that is a uh, German firm? Yeah, Deutsche Bahn. It's Deutsche Bahn. Okay. Armored Deutsche Bahn. Okay. <laughs> and we all know how uh, uh, how the, the uh, Germans are known for precision, correct? <laughs> <laughs> I, I assure you, if you read this study, you will draw the conclusion they certainly are known for precision. Yeah. DB is now our on-call rail uh, consultant and. We, we, we really uh, like the approach that DB has been bringing to the table. We have a, um, another railroad line as Condito subdivision that they've worked with us to optimize what was in a regional plan as a billion dollar project to achieve 15 minute headways down to a $200 million project. So they understand the approach, um, particularly that, I, that I've seen more in the private sector are building um, railroad capacity to meet operating plans rather than building capacity for the sake of building capacity. So we, we, we found that their approach is consistent with how do we bring uh, the best uh, cost benefit ratio to delivering um, public needs and desires. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting uh, application of European best practices and how they can be adapted to the uh, US operating environment. Um, so thanks for calling that out, DJ. Um, I think that's very valuable. Well, one thing I would like to add, because Matt started it and I'd like to finish the thought. Um, when the study is done, and both of us agreed that the study would take us exactly where we needed to be given our needs and Matt's needs. Um, what the study then was able to do was when we put it before other stakeholders, whoever they may be, there was absolutely clear understanding as to what they were buying, uh, what they were going to get from the public investment whenever that was made. And, and, and being presented with an integrated operating plan that attaches service level changes with real live investments, and they say, if I make this investment, I get this. And both parties, Matt's organization and ours, say, yep, that's exactly what you're going to see. Um, it gave everyone certainty. And I think some of the reason that Matt was so successful in uh, securing the grant funding he got was because I think a lot of people realized that both of us really did our homework and it really counted in that process going forward. That is uh, encouraging, I would have to say. Uh, it's probably a model for projects like this. Uh, Kellyanne, uh, yeah, you have some comments? Just, yeah, uh, speaking about um, just following up on your uh, comment about it being a model, I wanted to ask Matt, um, who has spent a good part of his career on the East Coast as well, how he sees this partnership um, playing out in other areas of the country, whether it's BNSF or another uh, host railroad. Well, it's not a host for you. 
it's a very important concept and and it's something we should all focus in on and is is really figuring out how to effectively partner between uh, the public sector or passenger rail operations and freight operations. And, you know, I think kind of the starting point when you look at the application here at NCTD and you listen to DJ, you can tell upfront that DJ is a collaborator. You can tell upfront that DJ is creative and DJ is focused in on how do we get things done in an efficient manner um, and how do we deliver for our organizations. So those are kind of key principles. So Kellyanne, if you think about my prior career at, at the, the Department of Rail and Public Transportation in Virginia, circumstance is a little bit different because here the public sector, NCTD, we own the tracks and uh, we host BNSF. On the East Coast, all the rail lines are owned by the private sector, CSX, Norfolk Southern. But the approach was the same in terms of creating partnership opportunities to support both the movement of freight and passenger. And, and, and I know when I was in Virginia, we focused a lot on creating cost benefit models, focused in on cost sharing, specifically where we, where we made investments with the private sector. Private sector had to actually produce those results, otherwise pay those monies back to the Commonwealth of Virginia. But the whole notion and the whole framework of collaboration and partnership was the same. And in fact, if you watch, if you continue to look at some of the wonderful work that is continuing to occur in Virginia on the I-95 corridor uh, through the Department of Rail and Public Transportation under the leadership of uh, Jennifer Mitchell, mm -hmm. it continues to represent the best practice examples of collaborating to create win-win scenarios, which means in almost every instance, we have to have a healthy respect for the different perspectives and challenges, issues, and, and needs of passenger and freight that may be different in certain areas. So yeah, I'm very experienced with it. I've seen that it is absolutely the best way to get things done in a timely and an efficient and collaborative manner. DJ, do you have any response to Matt's glowing endorsement of uh, you as a partner? <laughs> How about, oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> but frankly, Matt's got it right. That's how we see it as well. Uh, whether we're the host railroad or we're the tenant, the only way to solve these very, very complex problems is to work together, get in the other person's shoes, understand the perspective, others understand what they are trying to accomplish, then see what we can do to, to, to work out a, a, a solution that actually meets our needs and their needs. And that's exactly what we've done. And we did, and we did it in this case relatively scientifically. Um, and I think the, uh, the result of that very scientific process that we applied in this case was what Matt was able to enjoy in terms of the grants that he's received. And, and I think the level of confidence he ought to have in the operating plan that uh, he's going to be launching here shortly. I think there's something to be said for following the science uh, that can be applied to, uh, um, to many areas. And uh, um, on that note, uh, Matt, I just wanted to uh, ask you to describe briefly uh, a year ago uh, in fe February, just about a year ago, uh, it was uh, the 25th anniversary of uh, North County Transit District. You know, the celebrations that you did a year ago would soon be overshadowed by the impacts of COVID-19. So uh, what does your service look like for riders today after this, you know, 11th month of, uh, of lockdown? It's, it's interesting because we are approaching that one year anniversary. Um, ridership across um, 
all of our modes is down significantly, but it's most profound on, on commuter rail. And I think that's the case, not just for NCTD, but for commuter rail agencies across the country. A lot of that is due to the nature of our services, supporting peak periods, travel, um, and, and, and folks who are riding the trains are going to be a lot of the folks who have the flexibility to be able to work from, from home. But I would tell you, you know, in the midst of trying to navigate through the pandemic, we've kept our eye uh, focused in on what can we do to improve the customer riding experience with the focus of where our long range plans really are in terms of the near term 2023 in terms of increasing frequency. So we've used this time to be ready. And as hopefully as the country reopens and we recover, um, they're going to come back to a significantly better system. We've actually now received um, delivery of five new tier four locomotives manufactured by Siemens. Those locomotives are going to go into service um, on February 8th. We've been advancing a major overhaul of all of our cabs and coaches to include repainting, totally refurbishing the inside, um, putting in things uh, uh, to support charging of these uh, of devices and uh, new different seat materials. Um, we're looking at adding new additional signage to create, to provide more real-time information to our passengers. So our focus is, you know, as we navigate through this pandemic, is really to start improving the service in tangible, meaningful ways that the customers will see that as we start recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic, when people start returning to work and start returning to normal activities like entertainment and and restaurants that we're gonna be able to show them a significantly better improved service to include more than doubling the frequencies, which would give people greater confidence that if they take the train, there's gonna be another train um, in, uh, in a short period of time to be able to take them back. So that's what our focus has been. Our ridership is down more than 90% uh, on the coaster. But again, that's perfectly um, understandable when we are under an active stay at home order. I think, uh, Kellyanne, uh, we, we see the uh, commuter rail agencies, uh, everyone really thinking about uh, what, what the future is going to hold and uh, adapting their services for having the service available more around the clock. And actually, it's, if you think about it, it's, it's really about improving service, making it more accessible, more frequent, more flexible. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we're watching... Uh we're watching some of what's been called the pandemic migration. So uh, we anticipate that when things do open up again, there will be, there will be a, a new customer base, people who have uh, moved from the urban core out to properties where they've got more space. Um, and that means the suburbs in uh, many of the uh, metropolitan regions. And so when things do open up, we have a new customer base to attract and uh, the Commuter Rail Coalition is very focused on, on what, that, um, what that means for ridership and, and, and service uh, when this is all over. Okay, and, and DJ, I think it's, uh, I'd like to just comment, it's great to have, uh, you know, for, the, for the, our passenger railroads to have as, uh, uh, as good and as innovative uh, a partner as, as BNSF. All right, well, I'd like to thank uh, Matt Tucker and DJ Mitchell and Kellyanne Gallagher for, for joining us. Uh, 
Uh, we'll have more from the Commuter Rail Coalition uh, uh, as, as we go. Um, thanks so much for joining us, and um, we wish everyone good health and have a safe day.